Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. I am very excited about my guest today. I learned about Dr. Sanders through her award-winning podcast, This Prof Life, which focuses on women of color in higher education. Dr. Sanders is a tenured professor and chair of the Department of Communications at the University of North Alabama. Her teaching speciality is journalism and digital media production. She's been a professor for the past couple decades, and before joining academia, she worked as a broadcast journalist. Dr. Sanders is a communication expert skilled in telling a good story. In addition to her work in the academy, she created and hosts the Prof Life podcast, is a sought-after public speaking and communication coach, does professional voiceover work. Dr. Sanders, you truly thrive on communication, and I'm excited to have you here today sharing your impressive knowledge with the Advancing Women Podcast Warriors. Thank you, Dr. Z. Simone. I am so happy to be here to have this conversation with you. That was a lovely introduction. Oh, you're very, it's very easy. I could go on and on about how awesome you are. But <laughs> as I was researching your background, um, it was very clear to me that you thrive in every environment you're in. You've won awards for teaching and service in academia. You've won awards from the National Broadcasting Society. You've won awards for diversity, equity, and inclusion. You've won awards for your podcast. So obviously, your excellent communication and storytelling abilities have served you well. You know, until you just said that, I'd never thought about it that way. But thank you for that. Take a breath and acknowledge, right? You know, like right. sometimes you just got to put your crown on and let them know who's here. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And you're very welcome. Uh, communication is something that um, I've tried to be a part of for sure, all of my adult life. But even as a a teenage person, I've always been interested in uh, different people, their stories, where they come from. I've just had this curiosity about people and about the planet, I guess, we all live on and our cultures and how we operate in and outside of our certain groups. And um, it's just something that I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to pursue for the past 40 years. And um it's been an exciting journey. Yes, and an impressive one. The Advancing Women podcast is about women transcending mm-hmm. those organizational and structural and societal biases and barriers that women wanting to advance face. And the research shows that for women of color, there's essentially bias and barriers 2.0, so to speak. What civil rights activist Kimberly Crenshaw coined as intersectionality, you know, how race, class, gender, and all these individual characteristics and experiences intersect and overlap the layers of bias and barriers. So I really was hoping you could discuss how communication skills have impacted or can impact this, maybe mediating to some degree the biases and barriers or the challenges that come up and the tools good communications bring to help women transcend and advance. Because I think it's so important for women, especially to be mindful of how important good communications can be and and what an asset that can be in our toolbox, especially. Well, you know, um, I was thinking about intersectionality and I, for some reason, I just thought about different streets and, you know, the way in which we cross in traffic and how we keep each other safe. And we 
make sure we're alert at all times and just trying to make sure that every person gets to where they need to be in a safe manner. And I think that's the same with communications, the way in which people interact with and communicate with each other and share messages. And what I've found with barriers and biases is that, yes, as a Black woman of color, there have oftentimes been barriers, not barriers that kept me from achieving and getting to where I want it to be. Because I think part of that um, narrative in my life from my childhood through my uh, adolescence to being just a full-grown woman Mm -hmm. is that... I could do anything that I wanted to do and could achieve anything that I wanted to. And that is buried in the roots of my father who passed away in 2016, but as young children taught all of his children because he did not have that opportunity to finish high school, one of 13 kids and uh, just did not have the opportunity to finish school. But you know, the story behind that is after he and my mom had children, we talked him into going back to get his GED and he did it. And so he always sat us at his feet and told us, you will be educated because if you're educated, you will have opportunities and you can't be denied. So I didn't feel as if there was anything to keep me from achieving those things. And, you know, now here I am. Um, with the highest degree in the land with the PhD. And I attribute that to my father, but also I attribute a lot of other things to him and to my mom in that they always taught us to be courageous. And part of this is my personality as well. You know, I've always been, I guess, in what we call in our culture and a driven type of personality. I'm slowing down a little bit now. Uh, As you get older, you just really do learn to fight certain battles. You know, it has to be something now that I'm willing to go to the mat for. But back when I was developing as a young communicator, journalist, mom, working professional, yeah, I've ran across certain things that were barriers in my life. But the way in which I overcame them was to accept the challenge, also to um, fight against it too, but use my communication skills. And so I think that's something that all of us would be Uh, much better off with is using our words and uh, learning how to fight our battles with our words and then put action behind it. You know, in the society that we live in now, uh, Dr. DeSimone, Mm -hmm. you know, it's filled with a lot of hate and a lot of hate crimes and assaults. But if we could all come together and talk, And that's what I've found on this podcast uh, with all types of women of color is that they have to learn how to use their words to get to where they want to be. And people, if they find out that you're intelligent, that you know how to communicate well, you know how to use the right words, you learn, unfortunately, how to control your body language. I say unfortunately, but that's a good thing, really, because you don't always need to show your cards. Um, I had a colleague on my very first podcast, I think it was, she told me as a Black woman who had a lot of challenges uh, that she learned instead of raising her voice when she got upset, she would actually lower it. There's a lot of research that supports Mm -hmm. what you're saying. And I think, you know, I, I struggle a little bit because it's it, it's kind of two sides of a coin, right? So mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to constantly to be tone policed and worry. And I think about the exhaustion and the um, the emotional labor and the 
intellectual labor of constantly having to be so careful and so thoughtful about the things we do that there's that extra level of, you know, you said, well, once people knew I was intelligent and once people knew that I was a good communicator and it speaks a little bit to, do you get the same benefits of the doubt or do you constantly have to prove it again? And I talk about that a lot on this podcast. I really like what you said here. It brings to mind the research on resilience and anti-fragility. So when something is fragile, it breaks under pressure, right? And if you ask people what the opposite of fragile is, they'll often say resilient, but actually resilient is really not breaking under pressure, but the opposite of fragile or breaking under pressure is actually getting stronger under pressure. And that is anti-fragility. And a lot of what you're talking about is, uh, uh, you know, conditions that are outside of our control that are maybe unfair, maybe inequitable. We don't get the same benefit of the doubt. We have to prove ourselves more. But with doing so, we are constantly able to hone that skill. And then that almost becomes this incredibly... um, I, I guess, guess it's our superpower, a, huh? Yeah, superpower. <laughs> exactly. But. We can use these things to actually hone in our superpower. And I think that that is one of the reasons that we so often hear that women, you know, have a lot of exceptional skills in areas of communication. Um, we have to, if we want to get our point across, we have to be particularly and especially mindful to some degree of the way we're going to be perceived. And that we have to understand inherently that the same things we say, the same way that we say them won't be perceived or received or encoded the same by others. And so as exhausting as that can be, I I really love what you're saying about, you know, it becoming part of our superpower and having that anti-fragility mindset. Well, you know, I want to make sure too, that your listeners understand that we as uh, women of color, it doesn't mean that we're Teflon, that everything bounces off of us. You know, you do learn how to cultivate and create this sense of, I can't let everything get next to me or get under my skin. Because if you live that way, you're going to be living in a constant state of anxiety and you're not going to be able to function well. And let me tell you, it can, and it used to be exhausting, but I guess, again, going back to my dad, building that confidence in me, I've always tried to show up authentically But there have been situations when I think back now in my younger years that, yeah, I did have to sort of code switch even my personality just to uh, downplay perhaps the strengths that I had. Now, as I've gotten older, that is no longer the case. I mean, it doesn't mean that I walk in the room, boom, 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 you know, coming in with all of this authority and power that offends people. That offends me when people come into a room and suck all of the air out of it. That's not what I mean. What I mean by being authentic is that I can walk into a place. I do not have to put on a facade. I do not have to pretend that I am someone that I'm not. I can walk into the room as Pat. And I can sit at the table and voice my concerns, voice what I agree with or what I disagree with or my thoughts and suggestions that I have. I do remember, and you're right, you know, I used to have to practice and do this tone policing all the time. But then I would watch others in a room. And you, as you grow older and you continue to live, you're supposed to learn lessons. So I've learned that, you know, I would sit around tables and, you know, I, I observe people, I observe their responses. I also re- uh, observe how they, uh, React, And I think there's just business acumen wherever we go. There's a professional type of uh, acumen you should have about yourself, right? 
You know, it's sort of like when we used to have to straighten our hair because that was not the professional standard of beauty. And now what we see are black women who are coming in with their afros and with their braids and with their weave or with their natural hair. And they're walking into a room saying, this is who I am. So we're communicating in not only the way in which we use our words, but we're also using our bodies to break down these barriers and these biases that people have. And sometimes, you know, of course, we have these implicit biases. People oftentimes aren't aware that they even have them. But even people who think they are, quote unquote, woke, and, you know, you walk into a room perhaps with uh, braids in your hair or with some type of locks or sister locks, and, and they're thinking inside internally. Now, that's not really a professional look that this is. By well, it's interesting, too, look. because, you know, who, has, who defines what professional, what leader. Well, we know who used to define it. right? And so that's what we're always up against. And I I think so much of what you just said, the fact too, that you are Dr. Pat Sanders. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you certainly command a certain amount of uh, unequivocal expertise. And Mm -hmm. um, I think when Kimberly Crenshaw talks about being mindful of intersectionality, it's about all of the different groups, right? So it's socioeconomic status and it's education level. And the point that she makes is that if um, if we're not mindful, some of us, the most vulnerable, are going to fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can't talk about advancing women. And you know, that's my greatest passion. If we aren't talking about advancing all women, women have to prove and prove and prove so much more so, or they fall through the cracks. And this is a result of not culturally understanding those additional challenges. And so I think it's great to uh, talk about ways that we can overcome this. But the other side of that coin is that people need to be mindful that all of these variables are there. And it takes a lot for Dr. Pat Sanders to walk into that room and to command that level of respect more than perhaps it might have. Um, you know, if your gender were different, if you didn't have the PhD and it's, it's kind of that benefit of the doubt and this ideal norm of who the expert is in the room and who the um, smartest person in the room is and who the leader in the room is. And I, I know diversity, equity, inclusion are a passion for you. We've discussed the importance of advocating. Um, you and I have talked about this, you know, we have to advocate for women. We have to advocate for women of color. But you've said as a woman of color, there can be backlash. You can be penalized. And, you know, there's this quick response a lot of the time to, um, you know, to even sometimes subconsciously, but sometimes very purposefully maintain the existing power structure. And so there's this immediate, oh, that's just victim mentality or you're complaining or you're being confrontational. But how do we transcend this and how do we address this idea of advocating, but also understanding some of the backlash that can come when we do this? Well, I think that for sure we've paid the emotional tax over the years. Those taxes have weighed on us and we've paid our share. So how do I overcome that? You know, what I find is now when I walk into a room, I do walk in with confidence. I mean, it's not arrogance. Again, it goes back to being who I am, authenticity. You know, and I think there are ways too in which we can uh, break down some of this um these uh, occurrences that happen to us. And I think it is speaking up for yourself. You know, Michelle Obama said one of the most powerful tools she's ever possessed was learning how to use her voice. The voice, the words that you use, the words that you choose, the way in which you use them 
Your speaking is one of the most powerful tools that you can possess in your arsenal of communication. So even though we've paid the emotional taxes over the years, I think with the DEI initiatives and movement that's going on right now, that other people probably are more aware and more mindful and more sensitive because basically we're living now in a society and a culture within America for sure that says, well, we're not going to take it anymore. I've seen a renaissance of some type amongst women and black women of, you know, you got to take me as I am. And, um, you know, we study ways in which to do that. I believe in relationship. Now, I believe also that you can walk into a room and offend people if you're, you know, everything that comes out is, um, and I'm not saying this happens, I'm saying this happens with human beings, period. You don't allow others to speak. You steal others' ideas, or worse, you don't recognize them for the ideas that they bring to the table. So a lot of that goes along with sensitivity training. And that's why it's so important that you can't just have these initiatives in place, right? You have to have something, those key performance indicators. You've got to have ways in which you measure these things to see if they're working. And if they're not you have to go back to the drawing board or you have to edit just like we do with the any media work that we do. You go through an editing process. You get in a room, you make sure you have people in the room that represents everyone because representation is so important. And so we no longer want to carry that emotional burden and pay those emotional taxes and have this on our shoulders of how do I prove myself to you? And I'm at a point and a stage in my life and career, it's like, I'm no longer in the proving stage. Right. I do like the relationship building stage. And I think you can have great conversations, but I also believe that people have to be willing to have those conversations. And to, you know, if I'm not aware, like if I were talking to you and I was not aware that something hurt you or offended you or whatever the situation, I need to learn more about Kimberly so that I can know how do I communicate well with her. Um, it has always been a burden on our shoulders to try to find the way to make you feel better about the way in which we communicate. Right, right. And we no longer want to do that. that. I talk about that a lot in my show about, you know, yes. women are, are sometimes expected to be the ones who make yeah. everyone comfortable. Like, I don't want to make you uncomfortable and I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not say that in the right way? Women need to stop saying I'm sorry. You know, I had a I know whole episode. Know. I had right. a whole episode where I talked about that. You know, it yes. doesn't serve us. There's no doubt. Well, I, I, I want to just comment on what you said, because there was so much that was interesting to me. But one of the most interesting things was when you talked about representation and you talked about being there in the room, right? And having mm -hmm. voice and then the sensitivity training. I think it's such an important distinction between inviting people in the room and then inviting people in the room and allowing them to have voice, but then also taking it a step further and actually listening to what is being said. Oh, because one of the biggest problems with tokenism and having so few women in the room and so few persons of color in the room is they're there. But if you're in the room and there's this kind of unwritten culture of, wow, this could be really 
uh, harmful to my professional capital if I'm not careful. And so I've been brought here under the false pretense of bringing right. a different perspective. But now I'm realizing that I'm being asked to get in line and not bring that perspective. So I think the point you're making, if you're going to bring people into the room and say, we want different people in different perspectives, you know, it's measuring, am I actually listening to different perspectives? So if, if your leadership, what are you doing to show the people in the room that you heard what they said to encourage them to believe they can bring a different perspective? Because you can tell people anything you want. You can say, come in and bring your communication perspective and you can go in all polished and ready and bring your point or not polished and bring your point raw and authentically, which a lot of times is what you're asked for, but people don't really mean it. But if it. at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know that when you say that, you have somehow um, hurt your professional capital. And especially for women and persons of color who often have worked so hard to get and build that professional capital to begin with. I think that that's such a critical point. And I think it's something that we really need to be talking about, which is, okay, great that you've invited people to the dance, but if you're just going to sit back and judge their dancing and make them feel foolish for dancing. Or then- you, worse, you invite them to the dance and then no one asks them to dance. Right. So they're the wallflower, right? Yes. It's all of those things, right? Oh, yeah. You need more than being just the invitation to be in the room. And, you know, I think we need to have people think about if you're bringing people into the room, give them room and leeway to actually have that voice to talk about things. And oftentimes women will remain quiet or they will uh, give way to allow someone in more authority to um, what I call outspeak them or silence them. And, you know, there are certain types of people, like I said at the beginning, who will walk into a room and they suck up all the air, right? Or you know these types of people who are the know-it-alls and you know these types of people who are saying, yeah, 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 that's a good idea, but, and that but negates everything that came before it. We have to give people the leeway to be transparent and women in particular. And going back to that, I'm sorry, you know, and I know you know this with your expertise being in leadership and communication, that women say it way too often, that we just apologize for everything. When a man just walks into a room and says, I need you to do this, this, and this, and a woman will preference it with first, I'm sorry, but I need you to do this. I think it's it's challenging for me, though, because so many of the, and I know you're not criticizing, but so many of the critiques of women are a result of coping and kind oh, of- yeah, uh, absolutely. Changing our way, you know, many of us don't want to apologize all the time, but then if you don't, you know, oh, she's being too demanding or she's being too you're aggressive. You're saying that's the B or, word. Yes, exactly. You're being a bitch <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. I think it's exactly- How do you balance it, huh? It really is. And and I do love what you're saying about really being purposeful and mindful in our communication, because you're right. We do have to be mindful of what we say and how we communicate, but sometimes there can be an overcorrection. So yes, we will be perceived unfairly mm-hmm. and inequitably as too aggressive, but the answer then doesn't always have to be over-apologizing because that too doesn't serve because that undermines our authority. It undermines mm-hmm. our level of credibility. And so, you know, finding the right words and ways and body language and so forth, it may be unfair. Maybe we shouldn't have to, but being very mindful of realizing that the solution and the coping and all of that sometimes can be doing even more damage. (laughs) And so how do we be mindful of that? But then also how do we get 
those who are in privileged positions who don't ever have to think about this, right? They don't worry about these things. How do we get them to understand that this is what's happening? Because a lot of um, the change can come from being encouraged to not feel that way. So if you bring points across, you know, I've been in meetings where, you know, you get passionate and they're like, oh, calm down. Sometimes I think I'd love it if somebody would go, I don't think Dr. DeSimone is needs to be told to calm down. She's not all that emotional. Or I like, don't think she's being uncalm. <laughs> right. And so I'm always the one who has to say, well, I'm not being, you know, maybe you're feeling things are out of control. So I don't know what's happening here, but I see feel that too goes calm. to, to advocacy and support. And I think that's something that women have to do too, is support one another. But that took me back to when you said, how do we navigate these issues? I think about Maynard, who talked about fault lines and there are five of them. They deal with location, they deal with uh, economics they, and these types of things when it comes to media and how coverage occurs in communities. We know over the past several decades that it used to be the standard white male and then the white female who was considered the expertise on any subject, whether it was happening in an Indian neighborhood or a black neighborhood or uh, um, Hispanic neighborhood, they were the go-to for that, right? So he said, navigating these fault lines and learning how to overcome them, there are ways in which you can do that. And you ask, how do people become more mindful? I would say, number one, be willing to listen. Listening is that great tool that we have. And I don't mean just hearing the audible sound. I mean, hearing what the message is. When you hear that sound, whatever that means, you hear it, you process it, assign meaning to it, and then you know how to communicate or whether or not the right message was sent or received. So he talks about the ways in which to do that is Number one is to be aware. Number two is to listen. Number three is to go into communities that are different from you. Go into circles. Expand your circle of friends or associates. I can't learn about Hispanic women like yourself if I am not around Latinas. I've got to be around them and talk to them and engage with them. It's the same way with women, men, uh, LGBTQ plus communities, whatever. I can't learn about a certain culture and I can't get it all from books. Right. The reality is you've got to get into that community. Yeah, I, I use the analogy a lot when I talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion of gardening. You know, when I talk about um, <laughs> equity, you know, you can't treat all the plants the same because mm -hmm. some will thrive and some will die. But I also think it works in this conversation, which is if you take a plant and you put it in a very small pot, it can only grow so much. Mm -hmm. The only way sometimes for that plant to truly grow is to move it to a larger pot. And so yes. if we, right, so it's we potential. Yeah, if we don't start moving, and, and this is even leadership as a responsibility, like when we talk about allies, male allies, the more fair men are, sometimes the more they don't realize how much there is inequity. You know, it's sometimes hard to see it when you don't see the world in that way. Beyond you know, your pot. Right, right. <laughs> and so I do think the idea of get 
get out of your pot. You know, if in leadership, it is your obligation and your responsibility as a leader not to hold firm to what has always been comfortable for you and what you've always known and to the be status true, quo, mm-hmm. right? But to say, I have a responsibility Absolutely. to understand this person who communicates differently. Um, I'm going to try to be there for that person and to be an ally to that person. And I know that means that that's work for me in terms of being more mindful, but it's also growth. To see other people who are different from you or different from your gender or your sexual preference or whatever it is you're talking about, first of all, they're human beings. And all human beings want the same basic needs that are talked about by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all of us, all of us. So if we can be mindful of those things, it's sort of like right now, the police brutality, all of the summer marches and et cetera that occurred, it just kept reoccurring to me, are people not getting, I have a son and a daughter. Is it not occurring to people that we love our children just as much as the next person? You have two boys or three boys? Yes, two boys, two boys. Yep. yep. Can you imagine if someone devalued your children to the point that they could not see them as human beings who deserve love and belongingness, you know. Um, it really hits home for me, Dr. Sanders, because, you know, my youngest child has special needs. Right. And sometimes it can be just very hurtful and exhausting to <sighs> constantly feel like, you know, I'm not that different than you. I want my child to be accepted and have those same kind of things. And I understand that for my child to coexist, that maybe that makes the world a little noisier or it inconveniences Mm -hmm. people a little, or you have to make certain changes to make it work. But, you know, if to your point, if we are um, empathetic and understand, you know, yes, I want the same things you want for my child. Imagine what it's like when I don't feel that. And I love that kind of empathy. It really aligns beautifully with communication because if we're empathetic on both sides of the communication Mm -hmm. equation, so you're empathetic to your audience, right? You're sitting there saying, what are they feeling? What uh, circumstances do they come from? When we talk about intersectionality, like what is their background? What is their lived experience? And how is what I'm seeing going to have an impact and how might it land differently than it might for someone else? And then the person who's being communicated with is also saying, well, how can I have empathy and give the person on the other side, the benefit of the doubt? And it's a lot about that perspective, right? We can be standing in the exact same spot and I look to the left and I'm seeing a waterfall and you look to the right and you're seeing a mountain. And that doesn't mean we're not in the same place. We're just coming from different perspectives. And so that empathetic piece uh, is such an important part that has maybe slipped through the cracks a little bit in current times. Compassion, empathy, some of those basic tenets of humanity. And I love what you're saying, bringing compassion and empathy and humanity into communication on both sides when we teach people how to do public speaking and do it well to make sure that your message is received the way in which you intend for it to be received, the way in which you craft it, you have to do an audience analysis. And I think that a lot of people in leadership positions don't do that. If you have an audience, say, for instance, we teach them how to do informative, we teach them how to do persuasive speeches, special occasion. But if we're doing a persuasive or an informative and you have not 
analyzed who you're speaking to or who you're trying to get a message across to, that message is going to be totally off. The uh, more antiquated model of communication was that it's very static in one way. You are assured if I say something to Dr. Simone, she has received it, it's okay. What we learned as we lived and we studied communication and learned that it's not static at all, it's very fluid. We're always at... Uh, in a transition and it's going back and forth and it's always moving. And there is a lot that goes on between me as the sender of the message and the other person, Dr. D. Simone, on the other end, who's receiving that message. How am I using, what tools am I using? First of all, after I craft that message really well, I've done that audience analysis. I know the purpose of why I'm speaking to these people, but what tools am I using to get it across? And then in the middle, is there any noise occurring? And that's what's occurring in many rooms where people are not basically listening to each other. They don't know their audience. They are not really listening and there's noise in the room. Doesn't necessarily mean it's an air conditioning that has a clank clank to it. It doesn't mean that somebody is clicking their pen. Those are noises, but it could be of stereotypes that you have or biases going on in your brain. And before that message gets to Dr. D. Simone, it's deconstructed on her end, but not in a way and, and received. And her face is telling you one thing that we teach them how to read body language. You know, right, if you're looking right. confused, my message is not getting across. I could have it well-crafted. I could have the right PowerPoints. I could have the right tools. I could have the right reports in the room, whatever data. But if your face is looking like, huh? No, I, I, think, you're, change I think you're that. right. And I think so much of what you said, you know, you said it before and you kind of reiterated it here, the ability to listen and oh. read the room is as important as the ability to speak. And we need to listen to and understand what we're hearing, but also it's that extra level of understanding. Like I have to see this person and understand that they have a different lived experience than I do. And they're coming at it with a different perspective. All of and, that is in between the speaker and the receiver. Yes. And, it's and also, all isn't between. that the point, right? You know, we, we, you can say we want the different perspective, but guess what? When you get that perspective, it's going to land differently because it's not a perspective that you are accustomed to hearing. And so getting ourselves into the habit of saying, okay, okay, I have to think about the way I'm listening. I have to be giving the person the benefit of the doubt. I have to be trying to understand where they're coming from, from a perspective that may be completely outside of my ability to understand, but I'm still going to respect and hear and listen and try to understand as best I can, even if this experience is so different than mine. I think that's such an important part of communication. And I love it that is. you talk about all of that. I think it's really critical. Yeah, because, you know, one exercise that we uh, use and one of my colleagues actually created this back when she was working her master's degree and I love to use it in class and it's called solar. It's sitting squarely, the S. O is sitting with an open body posture and then L is for leaning in and then the E is for eye contact and then the R is for um, for relaxed. Um, but you appoint one to speak, one to listen and that person has to speak the listener has to listen until you tell them to stop the exercise. The only responses they can give are non-verbalized. That's body language, nodding of the head, maybe looking confused. So developing listening skills is something that we're missing in society and it's getting worse. And a lot of that is because of mediated communication. Another thing that I heard the other day, someone asked Nelson Mandela, how he survived and how after everything he went through, 
How did he become this leader? And he learned it from his dad, he said. He watched his dad, who was um, an honorable man before, you know, all of apartheid happened and stuff. People respected this man, but he said his dad always, always would be the last person to speak. He always listened first. And another one of his tips and tools was you don't show agreement or disagreement. You just listen. Because if you're in a room full of people who are not aware of some of the challenges that women face or people of color face, and you're interjecting all the time, that means you're not listening, number one. But number two, you're not gaining understanding because you're not processing those messages and assigning meaning to them. But you're just coming from the place of your own knowledge and your own, as you've said over and over again in this podcast, lived experiences. And theirs are totally different from yours. Yes, basic humanity, right? But the lived experiences are so important. And you know, I tried that the other day in a meeting. I listened actively, processed, assigned meaning, and I did not respond with a head nod or anything. I just simply listened because you don't want to influence anybody else in the room by showing nodding of the head. Yes, they agree with it. And I go, oh yeah, now Pat agrees with that. So I can't <laughs> right. speak up, right? Or shaking your head. No, well, this person across the room does not agree. And if you're a leader and you're nodding going, yes, when somebody's speaking and that person over there who may be marginalized is going, no, this is wrong. It's all wrong. But the leader is going, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. What that other person is saying, learn how to read that room. But more than anything, listening will get us to where we need to be. I think that's really well said. And, you know, it's almost biblical in nature, mm. a natural law, which is, you know, seeking to understand versus seeking to be understood. And I could not agree more that right now, um, I think that there is- Or biblically esteeming others higher than yourself. There's an absence of seeking to understand and a plethora of seeking to be understood. Mm -hmm. And I think when we seek to understand, then perhaps it's easier for us to stand up for others and say, I understand where they're coming from now. Um, Because it's hard to do that if we don't really give ourselves the chance to hear and understand. And you know the power of a good story and a good narrative. If people are willing to really listen and hear and understand, they're much more likely to be on your side or advocate for you and understand and give you the benefit of the doubt, even if they disagree of where you're coming from. So I think that that's such a critical and important part of the conversation. And I've really enjoyed this conversation on the importance of communication in advancing women, advancing all people, and even in general, in terms of the way we as society need to continue to work towards being good communicators uh, and the benefits for leaders of understanding not only communication from the perspective of the way we communicate, but also from the perspective of the way we listen. Mm -hmm. And practice that empathy and compassion that you were talking about. Because, uh, you know, people know when you're listening to them. Your partner knows when you're listening and not listening. And it takes practicing to become an active listener. So it's so, so important uh, that we do that. Because the worst thing that a person can do is try to explain something to you. And if you cannot give that back, you're great at that. You have a memory like an elephant. I could talk for two (laughs) minutes and you would go, you know, Dr. Sanders, you made this point, this point, this point, and this point, which means you're listening. But people who cannot give that back or react and and respond in a way of, so this is what you meant, or this is what I heard you saying, 
it's so important to listen and, and that understanding piece that you just talked about. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sanders. And uh, obviously it's easy to listen to a person like you with your passion and expertise. And uh, every time I do an episode, I end with what I call a manifest statement. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a statement or a key takeaway that kind of wraps up or something for folks listening to Noodle On. Today, my manifest statement is related to the ability to listen and how it is as important as the ability to speak. And listening and understanding the lived experience of others is so important. And so I'm going to say this. Women, we come from a wide range of backgrounds. Having empathy and compassion is important. When we seek to understand, we can support. And when we stand up for ourselves, we stand up for all women. And when we stand up for all women, we stand up for ourselves. Woodrow Wilson said, we cannot be separated in interest or divided in purpose. We stand together until the end. And I think that active listening you've talked about and that compassion and empathy that we've been covering and talking about here is about standing together and ensuring that we are all doing our part in getting there. So I am so grateful for you being here. I would love to tell our listeners where they can learn more about you. I'll also put it in the notes, but if you want to just quickly share where they can find your podcast and your website, that would be awesome. Okay. My website is drpatsanders.com. Pretty simple, but it's D-R-P-A-T-S-A-N-D-E-R-S drpatsanders.com. And of course, my podcast is on there. More about me. I'm on all of the socials as either Dr. Pat Sanders or Dr. Pat Sanders One. You can find me as Pat Sanders PhD on LinkedIn. And then uh, my podcast is it's on all platforms. So, but if you want to go to the podcast, or, I mean, yes, to go to the website, uh, you can find the podcast there and you can make the links to Apple. And one thing that I do ask people to do, and that is to leave a good review. They should have no problem leaving a good review as I have done because it is excellent. And again, Dr. Sanders, I thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. For all you warriors listening who want to continue to transcend barriers and thrive, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So make sure to hit that subscribe button. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com. Dot com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback and ideas on topics you'd like to hear me cover in more depth or new topics you'd like me to explore. So please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com with your ideas and feedback. That's D-R-D-E-S-I-M-O-N-E at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank my producer, Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast. It's totally badass and I love it. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.